I'm Josh. I am Alyssa. And we are back with another itty bitty episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of not only the Dresden Files book series, but also the short stories. Today, we are cracking up and breaking down and going through something borrowed. Mm-hmm. What are you doing today, Ice? I'm hanging in there. Let me tell you what. I have a bum hip today. You want to know how, how I got my bum hip? How? So there was this girl and she was being disrespected, right? Um, no, that's not it. I was sitting on a couch and I <laughs> fell asleep and I pinched a nerve in my hip. Oh my goodness. And that, folks, is getting old and sad and <laughs> I was an athlete once. Uh, yeah, I understand the feeling when you wake up and you're disabled because <laughs> you slept too long and you slept funny and your back hurts and you can't walk. I understand that completely. You know, we we do this at the bar all the time. We talk about the old napping injuries. <laughs> oh, my oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. I understand. I, I feel your pain. I literally could barely walk for a day and a half. A little bit better today. But oh, my I, goodness. I, 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 I'm but sorry, Josh. Eh? Just so dumb more than anything like i i need a story but <laughs> um yeah. at least my brain's not on fire how are you doing oh hanging in there been migraining for the last four days so that's fun i really lobbed a softball in there for you to say well my brain's on fire yeah mom well, it's not necessarily on fire it just feels like it's dripping I... out my eye holes oh well, that's so much worse oh closer <laughs> yes 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 mm-hmm I like fire. It makes everything. I mean, it's gross for a while, but after it does its thing, there's no more gross. Unfortunately, the uh, it's just a melty. It's a melty pain. Yuck. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I'm, I'm okay right now. She's going to soldier through it. That is how much she cares. <laughs> exactly. Because I don't care. Uh-huh. And I am awful. We're going to do another short one today. We have something borrowed dealing which they actually referenced in our last chunk of proving guilty so it is very topical i had all these dreams of doing some of the bigfoot stuff this chunk i think maybe we get to those over the holiday because with all the travel involved there that might be another good time to uh hit the uh not slam on the brake and certainly not pulling the e-brake and squeaking through anything but just Just taking a shortcut just to slow down enjoy the pine fresh scent which the home that I reside in for another three days is pine, freshy, delightful. Nice. Did go get a tree yesterday. Awesome. And boy, was that fun to drag up the hill with one leg. Oh, goodness. Well, I tried but, to put my tree up on Friday and I, I have a fake tree and the uh, stand broke. Well, so I had to order tree. it. Put it I in had a box. Yeah, no, I tried that. I actually <laughs> drilled a hole in the bottom of a plant, like a plant pot. And it just kept falling over. <laughs> so I had to order another one. I mean, the tree is probably like five or six years old and I did not spend a lot of money on it. So I just purchased another one and it should be here tomorrow. Oh, another tree, not another stand. I think you can't buy the stands for them. You want to really, you want to meet in Sacramento in a couple of days, <laughs> throw that in the old U-Haul. Hey, you're welcome yeah. to it. Yeah. I was thinking about 
coming through the city, but I think it just makes sense to just. What are you taking the five up? I think so. I haven't fully decided because I don't know. I'm going to ask Waze what Waze wants to do. Yeah, well, let me know when you're in the area. If you when you get to the 152, I can meet you around there and we can chess ball. Yeah, exactly. Have lunch or something. That would be delightful. It'll probably be like a 2 a.m. lunch. But... Oh well, you know. <gasps> okay. Beyond all our various wounds, maladies, and injuries. I also almost cut my finger off uh, on Wednesday night. Oh, yikes. Not really almost cut it off, but I have a nice slice in the side of my middle finger of my left hand. It was another alley fight? Uh, yeah, exactly. Was, you know, those. I'm, I'm not as good with the knife as I used to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, the game or a thing, you know, where you go like, you slam the knife down between fingers, like, you know, I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what they're describing when they talk about the finger dance is like a big thing to like show toughness in one of the uh, house uh, regions of Song of Ice and Fire. Um, that just made me think of that. As you're getting old, you can't do the finger dance as well. And I could be totally wrong on that. That's just kind of how I visualize. And that's that's your uh, headcanon? Yeah. Nice. But uh, either way, before we get too deep into it, no spoilers, but what'd you think about this chunk? Or this uh, short story here? I liked it. You know, and I I, I appreciate him bringing other characters back. And uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, they in, added to the Murphy, Harry lore. All right. I think last time worked great. Do you mind breaking it down again if I set the scene? Sure. I also like your perspective on some of the things in your voices. Okay. So. Any chance to get you to do voices, I like <laughs> Though, as uh, oh, I forgot his name. Princess Bride, Robin Hood, Carrie Ellis. Carrie Ellis. Unlike some other podcasters, you can do an English accent. <laughs> to some degree. So we are just fresh off of some shenanigans. Billy and Harry did the traditional hangover movie style. I think it's an English thing, too, that stag yeah. thing the night before right of night before the wedding bachelor party which i can assure you is a terrible idea seriously if anyone is taking wedding advice from me also a terrible idea but i've been to a fair few bachelor parties and i can tell you even when they don't get wild or rowdy it's just not a night before a wedding kind of vibe you know oh no so they are fresh on not fresh off they are in the throes of a bit of a hangover we are getting ready for billy and georgia's nuptials which is great because we love billy and georgia here at the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault and yeah that really sets the scene the crucial details here are that the werewolves the alphas were present for the battle of the stone table in the whatever, Chicago, above Chicago, or whatever they were calling it way back in days of yore. So they have been involved as Harry's vassals with the she in one form or another. So that is kind of what leads into our conflict here. But the main deal is two of our favorite side characters are finally getting their day in the sun. They are getting married, and boy, oh boy, do they deserve a great day because they are great characters. and. 
Billy has done a lot of learning from Harry, but also a lot of advising. And I, like I mentioned before, they're one of my favorite character pairings. We don't get a ton of them together in this one, but still some good moments. But yeah, I think that basically catches us up. If you're listening to this one for your first pod, I, I don't know what to tell you. You missed a bit. Mostly, actually, you just missed a lot of Buffy Road. But either way, without further ado, take it away, Lissy. So Harry's getting fitted for a tux. I love how it started. Huh? Again, something they could have done months ago. But he wasn't in the wedding. Oh, okay. That's why, because Kirby's in a body cast. Mm -hmm. That's why they couldn't do it, which is reasonable. I mean, you know, but I do love how it opens. Steel pierced my lid, pierced my leg, and my body went rigid with pain. So dramatic. (laughs) But it is very appropriate for Harry to be dramatic about getting fitted for a tuxedo. (laughs) I do appreciate that immensely. Absolutely. We meet Billy's stepmother, future stepmother-in-law. And she does not like being called that. She is insulting to Harry. And Harry... She is no, not nice. She is no, not nice. But Harry insults her right back. Because she, I mean, she's... She's lying. She's controlling. She's a delight. She does not like being called stepmother-in-law. I am your mother-in-law, or will be, whenever this ongoing disaster you've created from a respectable wedding breeds its last. What a bitch. And she's, you know, she calls Harry a lowlife and a charlatan because she saw him on Harry Fowler. Billy's expression came close to panic when he held up both hands, palms out, giving me a pleading look. But my hangover ached, and life is too short to waste it taking verbal abuse from petty tyrants who watch bad talk shows. Okay, Billy's stepmom, I began. Do not call me that. You don't care to be called stepmother? I asked. Not at all. Though you obviously aren't George's mother. How's about a call you a trophy wife? Bed warmer? Mistress made good? Midlife crisis byproduct? When in doubt, go with the classics. Gold digger. The blood drained out of Eve's face, leaving ugly pinkish blotches high on her cheeks. Wait, you, you. No, it's all right. I don't mind finding alternate terms. I understand that you're under pressure. Must be hard trying to look good in front of the old money when they all know that you were really just a receptionist or an actress or a model or something. We're all having a tough day, dear. Shoo. (laughs) Like, oop. She bails. But Billy's not happy because... He says, you don't have to live with it. I do. So does Georgia. Oh, um, maybe I should apologize. Oh, God, no. Things are bad enough already. Definitely a dick move by Harry. Oh, yeah, totally. She's a bitch, but... It's it's not about him. No, it's not. Okay, so we can't find Georgia. Georgia's missing. And so Harry says, I'll take care of it. He called the apartment and nobody's there. He went to see Kirby, who's in the hospital. Georgia hasn't been there yet either. And the hospital staff says he's not had any visitors. So I really thought about mentioning it to Billy, but I don't really know anything yet. And it wasn't as though he needed more pressure. Don't get paranoid, Harry. Maybe she's got a hangover too. Maybe she ran off with a male stripper. I waited to see if I was buying it and then shook my head. And maybe Elvis and JFK are shacked up in a retirement home somewhere. He goes to Billy and George's apartment and the door falls off the hinge. There's a mess inside the apartment. I felt nothing but the subtle energy that surrounded any home, a form of naturally occurring protective magic 
called The Threshold. Billy and George's apartment was the nominal headquarters of the werewolves, and members came and went at all hours. It was never intended to be a permanent home, but there had been a lot of living in the little apartment, and its threshold was stronger than most. The apartment had been torn to pieces. Everything was a mess. There was, there was for broken furniture all over. The microwave protruded from the drywall of an interior wall. The door of the fridge had taken out the bookcase across the room. Everything in the kitchen had been pulled down and scattered. He moves around the apartment and it just gets worse. The bedroom's the worst of all. There's blood on the floor and one wall. He says, whatever had happened, I had missed it. Damn it. I wanted to kill something. I wanted to scream in frustration and I wanted to throw up in fear for Georgia. And so, of course, he calls Murphy. He asks for her help. He says, Georgia's missing. It's her wedding day, Murph. Five minutes. I need you to pick up something on the way for me. So Murphy shows up. She's got his backpack. And Bob is in the bow. She asks, what did this? Something strong. I wish I were a big-time private investigator like you. Then I could figure these things out for myself. So he pulls out the bleached skull, puts it on a table or on the kitchen counter, and says, Bob, wake up. What's up, boss? Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Murphy swore. She took a step back and almost fell over the remains of the entertainment center. Bob's skull, Bob the skull's eye lights brightened. Hey, the cute blonde. Uh, did you do her, Harry? Wow, you did. Way to go, stud. No, Bob. Uh, Harry? This is Bob the skull. It's a skull that talks. Bob is actually the spirit inside. The skull is just the container it's in. It's a skull that talks. <laughs> I mean, I think Harry kind of missed the message on that one. <laughs> Just a wee bit. Definitely not the part that she was worried about. Oh, exactly. And Bob says, I'm not an it. I am definitely a he. Bob is my lab assistant. Just when I start thinking this magic stuff couldn't get any weirder. Bob, I said, take a look around. Tell me what did this. Something strong. Murphy gave me an oblique look. Okay, bite me. Bob, I need to know if you can sense any residual magic. He explains to Murphy, anytime you use magic, it can leave a kind of mark on the area around you. Mostly it's so faint that sunrise wipes it away every morning. I can't always sense it. But he can? But he can. They're not with all this chatter. I'm walking. I'm working over here. And then the phone rings and it's Billy. And Billy's on his cell phone and he tells... Billy, he's at the apartment, and the phone is kind of going in and out. And he says, Eve, just talk to Georgia. She's here at the resort. What? Is she all right? Why wouldn't she be? Crap, this battery's dying. Problem solved. Come on up. I'll brought your t I brought your tux. Billy, wait. He hung up. I called him back and got nothing but voicemail. Aha. Uh -huh. Someone used that wolf spell, the naked chick, talked to Billy and the werewolves back over there by the bedroom. And there were fairies here. Fairies? You sure? 100% boss. They tried to cover their tracks, but the threshold must have taken the zing out of their illusion. And so Harry goes into the bathroom and gets some of the hair off of George's brush, and they do a tracking spell. So they head on outside, and Harry says she's this way. Uh-oh. Uh-oh? I'm facing south. Which is a problem? Billy says she's at the wedding, 20 miles north of here. 
Murphy's eye widened in comprehension. A fairy has taken her place. Yeah. Why? Are they trying to place a spy? No, this is malicious. Probably because Billy and company backed me up during the battle when the last summer night was murdered. That was years ago. Fairies are patient, and they don't forget. Billy's in danger. I'd say Georgia was the one in danger. I mean that Billy's in danger, too. How so? This isn't happening on their wedding day by chance. The fairies want to use it against them. A wedding isn't just a ceremony. There's power in it. A pledging of one to another, a blending of energies. There's magic all through it. What happens to him if he marries a fairy? Conservatives get real upset. <laughs> but I'm not sure, magically speaking. Bob? Oh, well, if we assume this was one of the winter she, then he's going to be lucky to survive the honeymoon. If he does, well, she'll be able to influence him long term. He'll be bound to her the way the winter knights are bound to the winter queen. She'll be able to impose her will over his. Change the way he thinks and feels about things. And if she changes him enough, it'll drive him insane. Usually, yep. But don't worry, boss. Odds are he'll be dead before sunrise tomorrow. He might even die happy. Oh, Bob, that isn't going to happen. The wedding isn't three hours. Georgia might need help now. I looked at Murphy. You caring? Two on me, more in the car. Now there's a girl who knows how to party. <laughs> I love Bob. Feel like saving the day? On the weekend? Sounds too much like work. I'll pay you in donuts. Dresden, you pig. The cop donut is a vicious stereotype. Donuts with little pink donuts with little pink sprinkles? Professional profiling is just as bad as racial profiling. Yeah, but I know you want the little pink the little pink sprinkles. That isn't the point. <laughs> you don't have to come with me, Karen. Yes, I do. And so Harry gives a little rundown about the how people the people's assumptions about wizards and magic and how it's not accurate. He says, or I sure as hell wouldn't drive a beat up old Volkswagen. <laughs> it's a powerful, true, and useful and enormously advantageous, but ultimately it is an art, a science, a craft, a tool. It doesn't go out and do things by itself. It doesn't create something from nothing. Using it takes talent and discipline and practice and a lot of work, and none of that comes free. So the they spell leads them to downtown Chicago. And they've circled the block three three times, and they cannot get more precise. And he says, do we look like one of those GPS thingies? Define thingy. It's my spell. It's oriented to the points of the compass. I didn't really have the Z axis in mind when I designed it, and it only worked for that when I'm right on top of the target. I mean, I keep meaning to go back and fix it, but there's never time. I had a marriage like that, Murphy said. So we've got six office buildings, six buildings on the block, three apartments, two office buildings, and a church. We decide it's not the church because it's sacred ground and all that. Can't be the apartment buildings because there's too many people. And Harry says, so call in all the king's horses and all the king's men. But Rudolph's a sketchy dude who has flagged her with IA and all is bad in that world of things. So they need to get closer. And, you know... The concept of office buildings on a weekend are empty as you can find in Chicago. So they're trying to figure out, trying to narrow that down. And he says, there has to be something. Would a fairy be able to magic herself in and out of there? Yes and no. She couldn't just wander through the wall or poof herself inside. 
but she could walk in under a veil so that no one saw her or else an illusion of what she wanted them to see. Can't you look for the residual what's it again? In case I haven't mentioned it before, dealing with fairies is a pain in the ass. <laughs> she covered her tracks again. Yeah, how? Lots of ways. Scatter little glamours around to misdirect us. Only use your magic very lightly to keep from leaving a big footprint. If she did her thing in a crowded area, enough people's life force passing by would cover it. Or she could have used running water too. I stopped talking and my gaze snapped back to the sewer grate. I could hear running water through it in a low, steady stream. Down there, she's taken Georgia to Undertown. They're heading down the down a hidden stairwell and murphy's i wouldn't believe this would have been here good old murph i mean i knew there were some old tunnels but not like this and harry says yeah the manhattan projects run on the tunnels here until they moved to the southwest plus the town kept sinking into the swamp for a few for 150 years there are a whole building sunk into the ground the mob dug places during prohibition people built bomb shelters during the 50s and 60s and other things have been added and other things have added more, plus gateways back and forth to the spirit world. Other things? Like what? Things. Anything that doesn't like sunlight or company. Vampires, ghouls, some of the nastier fairies, obviously. Once I fought this wacko who kept summing up fungus demons. Are you stalling? Maybe I am. <laughs> I've been down there a few times. Never been good. How do you want to do this? And so they plan it like they went into the vampire lore. Harry's going to go in with the shield. And if anything bad happens, she could take it out with the gun. So they get down and the old brick stairs ended at a rough stone slope into the earth. Water ran down the walls and in rivulets down the sides of the tunnel. We went forward through an old building that might have been a schoolhouse, judging by the rotted piles of wood and a single old slate chalkboard fallen from one wall. The floor was tilted to one side. The next section of the tunnel was full of freezing, dirty, knee-deep water until it sloped up out of the water, went round a corner where the walls had been cut by rough tools, and then opened into a wider chamber. It was a low-ceilinged cave. Low for me, anyway. Most folks would have been troubled. Three feet from the doorway, the floor dropped away into silent, black water that stretched out beyond the reach of my blue wizard light. Murphy stepped up next to me, and the light on her gun sent a silver spear of white light out over the water. There, on a slab of stone that rose up no more than an inch or two from the water's surface, lay Georgia. So she's laying naked on the stone, her, her arms crossed over her chest in repose, funeral style. She was still breathing, but she was discolored from the cold. Her lips were blue. Harry calls her name to see if she's awake and she doesn't respond. What now, Murphy asked. You go get her while I cover you? Can't be as easy as it looks. Why not? It never is. So Harry opens up his sight and notices that there are several bits of magic in play here. There is magic in the water, magic around Georgia, and magic in Georgia. And, well, Murphy says, I close my eyes and release my sight. The remnants of my hangover made it worse than usual. I reported my findings to Murphy. I sure am glad we have a wizard on the case. Otherwise, we might be standing here without any idea what to do next. This is water magic. It's tricky stuff. I'll try to take down the alarm spell on the surface of the pool, then swim out and get your... Without warning, the water erupted into a boiling froth at my feet. 
and a claw of a freaking pincher as big as a couple of basketballs shot out of the water and clamped down on my ankle. So this thing is trying to pull him out, pull him under the water, and he fuegos it. And it is this big shell-shaped thing that Harry recognizes as a shelly cob. Murphy's whatever, and she starts shooting it. Go, Murphy. Harry brings up a wall of flame to protect them because the shelly cobs just keep coming. If the fire dropped, the fairy water monsters would swarm us. So Harry's trying to come up with a plan here. Murph, he, I snapped, could you carry her? What? Can you carry her? She gritted her teeth and nodded once. Do you trust me? Yes, Harry, she whispered. Jump the fire, run to her. Run to her? And hurry, I said, lifting my left arm, focusing as my shield bracelet began to glow, blue-white energy swiftly becoming incandescent. Now, Murphy jumps over the wall of fire, runs across Harry's Fazorying, of course, and he basically reshapes the shield so that she's got a surface to run over. She grabs Georgia, runs back, and they get the hell out of there. And they're, they get into Murphy's car. Murphy notices blood on her face. And he says, yeah, it's dried, but I figured it wasn't hers. Bob said she wolfed out in the apartment. I think Georgia got her fangs into Jenny Greenteeth before she gra got grabbed. Jenny who? Jenny Greenteeth. She's one of the she. Fairy nobility. Sidekick to the winter lady. Sidekick to the winter lady. Are her teeth green? Like steamed spinach. I saw her leading a big old bunch of shelly cobs just like these guys back at the fairy war. If Maeve wanted to lay out some payback for Billy and company, Jenny is the one she'd send. He tells Murphy that she is the sirens of stories that lure sailors to the death, and only she's not so cuddly. And Bob, of course, has to be inappropriate with Georgia. First you get demolition level six with the cop chick, and now a threesome, all in the same day. Harry, you have to write penthouse about this. Not now, Bob. I need you to identify the spell that's been laid on Georgia. He said it's a good one. Jenny put a sleep spell on her, and a seriously good one, malicious as hell. How do I lift it? You can't, Bob said. Fine, how do I break it? You don't understand. It's been tied into the victim. It's being fueled by the victim's life, life force. If you shatter the spell, I'll do the same to her. It's not impossible to get rid of. No, not at all. I'm saying that you can't lift it. Whoever threw it could do that, of course, but there's another key. What key, Bob? Uh, a kiss ought to do it. You know, true love, Prince Charming, that kind of thing. That won't be too hard. We'll definitely get to the wedding before he goes off alone with Jenny and gets, and gets drowned. Oh, good. Of course, the girl still kicks off, but you can't save all the people all the time. <laughs> Why does Georgia die? Oh, if the werewolf kid goes through the ceremony with Jenny and plays his truth, and plays his truth and so on, it's going to contaminate him. I mean, if he's married to another, it really can't be pure love. Jenny's claim on him would prevent the kiss from lifting the spell. Which means Georgia won't wake up. At what point in the wedding does it happen exactly? You mean, when will it be too late? And of course Murphy figures it out. It's a kiss, Harry. It's a kiss. Buffy's right, Bob agreed cheerily. Yeah, I guess I should have figured it out. See, it's not just us with the Buffy. I know, exactly. 
The kiss seals the deal. If Billy kisses Jenny Greenteen, the girl with the long legs ain't waking up. And he ain't long for the world either. Murph, I said tense. She rolled down the car's window, slapped on a magnetic cop light on the roof, and started up the siren. Then she stomped on the grass and all but gave me, gave me whiplash. So she got them there very, very quickly. And Harry hops out and gets into the wedding. And Eve McAllister, the stepmother-in-law, alerts security. Sir, I'm sorry. This is a private function. I'll have to ask you to leave. You've got to be kidding me. Private? I'm the best fucking man. The loudspeaker in the ballroom said, and then by the power vested in me, I will not allow you to further disrupt sweating or tarnish my good name, Eve said in a triumphant tone. Gentlemen, please escort him from the premises before he causes a scene. So the uh, security goons try to get Harry to leave, and of course he doesn't. The loudspeaker voice said, man and wife, you may now kiss the bride. I lay there on my back under maybe 500 pounds of security goons struggling to breathe and staring at nothing but ceiling. A ceiling lined with a whole bunch of automated fire extinguishers. So he kind of frees himself from security guards. Way goes. Fire alarm house. Sprinklers go. Mini monsoon inside. Chaos erupted. Everybody's screaming and running. The security goons are smart enough to realize they suddenly had an enormous problem on their hands. They scrambled away from the doorway before they could be trampled. A lot of stinky water on expensive clothing. Oh, yeah, because you know that water stinks nasty. So everybody's running, and Jenny Greenteeth turns back into Jenny Greenteeth. And she turns to Billy and tries to attack him. Billy may have been shocked, but not so much that he didn't recognize the threat. And so he and Jenny fight a little bit. Harry yells for Billy. There's magic and fire and slashing and gnashing of teeth and Harry is getting through the crowd using his using his magic and he says to them it must have looked like someone waving a road flare around and there was a steady stream of interjections that averaged out to eek I forged ahead through them Jenny has torn off the bridal gown she has her claws hanging out an ugly green spear of light appears in her hand she throws it at Billy he ducks leaves a hole on the wall, and Jenny howled and summoned another spear. But by that time, I was in, within reach. Standing on the floor by the platform gave me a perfect shot at her knees, and I swung my blasting rod with both hands. The blow elicited a shriek of pain from the she-woman, and she flung the second sphere at me. I caught it on my shield bracelet, and it rebounded upon her, searing a black line across the outside of one thigh. Thou wouldst have saved this one wizard, but I will get my, but I will yet exact my lady's vengeance twofold. She jumps out and flies out of the room. Harry, what the hell's happening here? What the hell was that thing? No time. Come with me. Why? I need you to kiss Georgia. Uh, what? I found Georgia. She's outside. The watery tart knows that she's going to kill her. You got to kiss her now. Oh. We both ran and suddenly the bottom fell out of my stomach. Vengeance twofold. Oh, God. Jenny Greenteeth would kill Murphy, too. It is mayhem outside. They get to the car It is that Murphy had parked, where Murphy had parked it, and it's on its side. Windows are broken, doors torn out, and he run, they run into the reception tent, and Jenny Greentooth, sorry, Granny, Jenny, Jenny Greenteeth is standing over the refreshment table, puffing, 
pushing Murphy's face into a full punch bowl. And Murphy's arms twitched a little. Jenny gasped, lips panting, lips parting, and she pushed down a little harder. Murphy's hand fluttered one more time and went still. The next thing I knew, I was smashing my blasting rod down onto Jenny Green Teeth, screaming incoherently and pounding as hard as I could. I drove the ferry back for Murphy, who slid limply to the ground. Then Jenny recovered her balance, struck out at me with one arm, and I found out a fact I hadn't known before. Jenny Green Teeth was something strong. So Harry's a little bit of a mess, and she then flies at him with lust in her inhumanly lovely features. And Harry screams, Billy, damn it, kiss her now. So he kisses Georgia. And Jenny Greenteeth has shoved Harry's head into the bottom of a punch bowl filled with punch. I fought her, but she was stronger than anything human, and she had all kinds of leverage. I could feel her pressed against me, body tensing and shifting, rubbing against me. She was getting off as she was murdering me. The lights started to go out. This was what she did. She knew what she was doing. Luckily for me, she wasn't the only one. So Harry falls, knocks the punch bowl over. I gasp and wiped singing liquid from my eyes and looked up in time to see a pair of wolves, one tall and lean, one smaller and heavier, leap at Jenny Greentooth and at Jenny Greenteeth and bring her to the ground. Screams and snarls blended, and none of them sounded human. Jenny tries to get away, and one of the wolves severs her handstring. The ferry went down. The wolves were on her before she could scream again. The wheels turn, and Jenny Greenteeth never had a chance. The wolves knew what they were doing. This was what they did. Harry goes over to Murphy. She's not breathing. He does CPR. And I covered her mouth with mine and breathed again. For one second, for one teeny tiny instant, I felt her mouth move. I felt her head tilt and her lips soften. And oh my God, and my oh-so-professional CPR, just for a second, mind you, felt almost, almost like a kiss. And she starts covering. She starts coughing and sputtering and says, Harry, yeah, you have fruit punch mouth, she whispered. Her hand found mine, weak but warm. I held it. We sat together. Billy and Georgia ended up going to get actually married with Father Fort Hill that night, with just the two of them, Father Fort Hill, Murphy, and Harry. Because everybody else thought they'd gotten married already. And so the ceremony was simple and heartfelt. Harry was Billy's witness. Murphy was Georgia's. And Murphy says, not exactly a fairy tale wedding. Sure it was. I said, had a kiss and an evil stepmother and everything. Then, by the power vested in me, the padre said, beaming at the pair from behind his spectacles, I now pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss the... They beat him to it. No. I love it. I think it's adorable. Cute. Oh, I liked it. Absolutely. Definitely, at least I felt not quite as polished as Restoration of Faith, or do you feel otherwise? I feel it's much more polished. Oh, really? Okay. 
I definitely feel like he's obviously grown as an author, but it just seems like, I don't know. I, I liked, I certainly liked the other one better. Maybe that's just because of its import. Mm-hmm. I, let me just say that. I certainly liked last week's better. Maybe that's just because of the import, you know, mm-hmm. in, introducing him versus this is just a day in the life, basically. Obviously, you know, saving Georgia and Billy's lives is super important because I love them both. But, um, I feel like it's just a little bit of backstory and I like, I do, I appreciate a little bit of backstory here and there. Yeah. And this is a good example of why so many of our listeners have suggested doing Mm -hmm. exactly this and taking some time to go through the short stories. Though really there haven't been all that many up to this point. Um, Obviously this is right before proving guilty. There is the first and maybe I think the second Bigfoot is either right before or right after this, but near enough to make no matter but he really does start ramping up the frequency and the emotional punches in good and bad ways in some of these side stories but also it adds to proving guilty right you have this understanding of what harry and mave were talking about at max right so they to the story you certainly aren't missing anything i mean not missing anything but you're certainly not unable to gather what's happening yeah in proving guilty without reading this but it definitely adds a little bit and it, it's just oh, a definitely. cool extension of the story yeah there's two well, I, I also like that it gives a little bit of the miss the viciousness and the kind of that the, the fey we learned a little bit about the fey and their underhandedness and things like that yeah, just adding to that, you know, and it, they, he says it again that dealing with fairies fucking sucks. Like it's always more problematic oh. than you think it's going to be, which 100%. is is great and can you know connects with our real world lore around fairies. But just it is funny how it always progressively snowballs into a nightmare. Yeah, they're very problematic. <laughs> which is again, I think why so much of that conversation jumped right into our faces a couple weeks ago at Max because. It's always more com- complicated than it seems with fairies. And that didn't seem complicated. <laughs> yeah. But overall, enjoyment, 1 to 46, the standard book judging scale. Oh, 43. Okay. Yeah. 43. I enjoyed it. And probably about a 42.4, 42.3. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was. it's definitely entertaining and I like it. And it's a great addition to the Dresden lore media yeah spectacle multimedia event (laughs) i Um, appreciate that i the first thing that jumped out at me was harry you know billy having not cold feet but maybe it's a little chilly down there but obviously he's not actually not going to go through with it he's just really thinking through it right anytime you have a big life event i've been doing that for the last month myself not second guessing, but like thinking about the things that are changing, right? But I understand that immensely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, it's something On that he, so many levels. And it is something that Harry can grasp, which a lot of the, you know, relationship stuff he hasn't experienced at the same level as Billy. So it's interesting that his angle is, you know, Billy's confident Georgia wouldn't be mad that they fought the ghoul because the ghoul needed to be fought. He's like, yeah, you, you know her well enough to answer questions. Clearly, you know, the you guys, important questions. And I love that. 
Yeah, but it says something about their companionship mm-hmm. more than their like love and you know anything. You know, it's like they fit, and obviously they, Billy and George have more than that. But it's interesting that Harry uses that angle to reinforce versus you love her. She's so important. You know, uh, it's just an interesting angle, and I really like it. I I um, it kind of gives us more insight into their relationship, which I really liked, because I mean that's we don't have a lot of background into their like in the in the what's it called i guess that the little author's note at the beginning where he said that he was thinking that the alphas hadn't gotten enough stage time and so this gives us a really nice insight into their relationship yeah and also also harry's knowledge of their relationship yeah i mentioned in the intro that you definitely were here for and weren't going to get a refill or go to the bathroom or something for that I really love Harry and Harry and Billy in particular. Like that mm-hmm. twosome, I've said it before on the pod. I just, for some reason, I really love that relationship. Um, yeah. It's like, again, sitting here thinking about things I'm, are changing and leaving. Kind of reminds me, I guess, of me and James, my, my boss, who was my coach and then my mentor and now my friend. Uh-huh. Like, like how you look up to somebody and you're growing and then at a certain point, you can kind of give back and it it's still not a, not symmetrical. It's very much an asymmetrical relationship, uh-huh. but you, you're on sound footing and you can kind of have that even magically, right? They have these kind of conversations, mm-hmm. but I really love the development. Of, you know, we talk a lot about Murphy and Harry and stuff. And I, I just love that it, that friendship is really cool and how it came to be and how they it's continued to grow. Yeah. I really like. And so glad yeah. they got a couple moments. Yeah, and it's it's I mean, we we say this all the time that the way Butcher tells a story isn't necessarily all in your face. And in he this is a very subtle kind of way of showing how deep and real their friendship is. Absolutely. Not just because, you know, he he stepped in as the best man, but because he can he he can read their relationship and he knows how much they care for each other. The first time I listened to this, um, back before I knew that books existed, did you know books were a thing? The first time I I div- uh, was exposed to this story many, many, many years ago, I thought it was like weird to only have one person in your wedding party. And I've realized more and more that sometimes you have one, sometimes you have 27, and it it really is just, and this is something I'm going to say a lot, and I already said it once, it's not about you. And yeah. so they had, for one reason or another, she had a you know maid of honor. He had a best man and that was it. So that's what they want to have on their day. And that's perfect. Let's make it happen. And I, uh, I, I just, that's as I've matured by matured. I mean, I've gone to a bunch of weddings as my friends. Have matured. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I definitely changed how I interacted with that. You heard part of that come up when I mentioned that. Why wasn't he fitted for a text earlier? Oh, yeah, he's not, wasn't initially in the wedding party. Initially in the wedding. (laughs) In my brain, he just moved up the ladder, right? A step. Uh, Gotcha. Yeah, they just didn't want that. Maybe he's let fewer things for her gold digger in law to worry about. (laughs) Exactly. Any thoughts on her? Uh, She's just, she, like, we have all of these examples of supernatural evil, and she's just human evil. Yeah, just the mundane garbage that makes your yeah. life worse. And she and she is just mundane garbage. She thinks she is so 
much above everybody, but she's just a douchebag. Yeah, the fact that she knows he's a charlatan because she was watching essentially yeah. Jerry Springer. Trash like, TV. Like, yeah, she was watching Garbage, and that's how she knows he's garbage. It's like, what? Wait, wait a minute. I can yeah. do the math here. Yeah. Yeah. Assuming a woman is using her feminine wiles and looks to make money in a relationship is probably not always a great thing to jump to. And Harry's, you know, is kind of pissed off. But in this case, she's a dick. I don't really mind. I think what <laughs> he's, he's doing bit. is playing fire is is fighting fire with fire because she's saying because of what she's witnessed, he's a charlatan. Charlatan, and he's basically saying what he because of what he's witnessed, she's a gold digger. Yeah, face value. What? You know, yeah. Want to read my cover? I'll read your cover, and neither exactly. is very pretty. But just get into the. That's how I kind of saw bit. it. That's what I saw, and was like, okay, well, that's one way to look at it. Maybe the foreword by some somewhat famous author. It'll. It'll get you hooked. Don't just read the cover. <laughs> Anything else on that? I, I, you mentioned it, that I, I love how it starts with him. Like, my God, the metal's digging into my thought. Yeah, I love it. But the funny thing is, is this is a, this is a short story about bad guy fairies. And the first word of the entire story is steel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love that where it's the steel is what is. Uh, Old iron causing him trouble and we've learned that steel causes fairies trouble as well i just thought that was no that was a great catch. that was great so yeah i've, I never, enjoyed I've never put that together in the many many <laughs> read-throughs i haven't done quite as many read-throughs of side jobs and brief cases but a fair few times and i've never put that together that's awesome yeah that was the, i literally have that word highlighted <laughs> i thought it was very creative mm -hmm. he mentions threshold magic or you know, mm -hmm. rules around thresholds it's interesting. It's a plot device, but it's 100% pretty, pretty consistent throughout. You know, we saw in Stormfront, it was a little much that the Toad Demon didn't really have any issues. Yeah, you know, it took a second to get through, but once it was there, it really didn't have a whole lot of problems. But he's explaining, you know, he's hand waved that away because Harry, it's not really a home, right? It's just where he yeah. lives. And works. Well, he later explains it more in depth. When he's talking about the sanctity of the threshold at Murphy's house, because it's a family, it was a family home. But I love that in this, he uses that same concept as to why the threshold at the apartment is so strong. Because the way he describes it, it's a family home. It's just a different kind of family. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he's mentioned how Murphy's was home was their her house was built up over mm -hmm. you know decades and decades. This one is smaller version of that which probably explains why they were able to come in and mm -hmm. glamour or not but it, it i really did like that again just those like talking about the real lives that these people lead and, and how important the other they are to each other that's the good stuff that's the stuff i really like and yeah. um yeah that was a great again it's a paragraph in a 20 what 27 26 page story that uh really jumped out of me I, i'm glad you mentioned it it's just it's the the, so much of this series is the power of friendship, the power of those interpersonal relationships and how important they are in the world of magic, mm -hmm. which I just think that's great. I think it's really cool how these little tiny details are. They show the world. And the White Council typically es eschews those those ideals, right? Uh -huh. Like they they don't want those around at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, we've seen Harry do some 
make some interesting choices because <laughs> of the people around him. So maybe they ha- there's something to that. But all you know, we've seen on the on the whole shake it all out in the scales, and he's a much better wizard, a much better person, and he's saved a lot of lives because he's you know allowed himself to love and feel. Mm-hmm. And it also it's the we say it, we say it a lot that Harry is very protective and he will go to bat for people and he will protect. And the reason you protect people is because you care about them. And that's very much kind of what I gathered from that. Again, it's the power of caring and protecting, protecting people, which we see here because that power of them being a family, them protecting each other and caring about each other has made that threshold stronger. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I can be nerdy about a lot of stuff. And that's one of those, the words, just like those, those story elements that are just so well done. This is definitely an example of it. Yeah. I loved his delay. Hemming and hawing about going into Undertown. I thought that was fun. Yeah. And Murphy calling him out on it was also great. Oh, hundred percent. I really love, I love her though. I think she's great. And I love that she calls him out because I, I mean, she would. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, she was. She's, she is not letting him get away with that one. No, 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 no. The description of Georgia is fine. You know, when they're not drop dead gorgeous, he struggles, which again, I, I understand. But yeah, I mean, was, she's naked and he doesn't really, doesn't talk about the tips of her breasts or anything like that. So, I mean, that's great. Good job. We're good job. Moving in the right direction. <laughs> All we can do is try to get a little bit better each day. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. Bob self-identifies as male. Mm-hmm. He does not have a penis or testes or an ability to reproduce. Just so puny. So does Jehovah, apparently. Again, doesn't have... Hey. What, what is a man? Self-identifies as a man. Projects himself to the world as a man. So Bob's, Bob is a he. Mm-hmm. We, we've heard him use that yeah. pronoun before, but this is where he... Like, no, 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 I am a he, I'm not an it. Certainly, I wouldn't want to be an it either, but he's chosen he very forcefully. Mm-hmm. Just the Never Never is a lot more progressive, I think. <laughs> Always really has been. Also with the, uh, when Harry mentions that, what happens if he marries a, marries a fairy? I honestly just thought, like, if he married a member of the she, and it'd be like, conservatives would be upset, but I'm t- like, just because it's not traditional, it's different. But I think he was, that was a play on the word fairy. It definitely was, but yeah, it, it works that. both ways. Yeah, I like my version better, but I, I literally, I'm just explaining to the world how dumb I am. Like, I, very simple wordplay. I like literally didn't get until you were going through it, this breakdown. <laughs> uh, I had a note about marrying fairies and I was like, oh, oh, fairy. Again, it's a term that's kind of fallen out of use probably for good yeah. reason, but, you know. I mean, it's true. Oh, absolutely. And I just didn't get it. It's, it's a microaggression, I'd say, but good good wordplay. Fair enough. Again, I did not catch it. Um, <laughs> he talks about you, and you mentioned it as well, the magic, the magic in the water, which is tricky because we know how much water disrupts. Yes. Spell. But, R- running water, but this is, it, it's not quite, but still. Sorry, go ahead. 
But the whole thing I was thinking in regards to the water is that there is earth magic, there's air magic, there's got to be water magic. Oh, absolutely. And he uses fire magic. A... Obviously, we see that all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, and she also is the embodiment of sirens and all of the mermaids that lure sailors to their death. So it was com it was completely reasonable for me. Mm -hmm. Can you say mermaids one more time? Mermaids. Yeah, no, for sure. I just thought it was interesting because he mentions that it's it's powerful and tricky. Mm -hmm. It's got to be tricky as hell because if the water starts shaking around too much, your magic's going to be dissolved, basically. So I just thought it was really cool that that mm -hmm. was possible. Oh, yeah. And thinking about how finicky and annoying it would be similar On to the, so many levels. You know, like, don't bother me. I'm dealing with water here. Mm -hmm. The duck lands in it. I'm fucked. But it also tells us just about the how that it's it's the the balance of the scales where it's a very fine balance. Yeah, and we see a lot the relative power level. Harry is a brute. He's got a ton of power. He packs a mean punch. But there's he so much about magic. Mess. <laughs> yeah, there's so much he just can't make happen because he's not there yet. He doesn't have the finesse. Certainly better now than he used to be, as we see with this really fucking cool spell. Yeah, one of the, one of the coolest we've seen. Oh, definitely. I agree. And I, I love it because I believe it. The shield kind of catches the Forzare. Mm -hmm. And so she's able to stay out, you know, just for a moment. I, yeah. I just thought that was really cool. And also while he's keeping the fire up, I have three references here, folks, but, you know, reminding me of Dumbledore in the cave in <laughs> Flood Prince, where he's, you know, waving the fire around and trying to, you know, moving all, you know, getting the whole shit together after almost dying. Again, just his, the amount, we just talked about how he's not good with focus. He does a really precise new on the fly spell he just invented while blasting some Shelly cobs. And maybe I, I didn't give him quite enough credit. I know he doesn't give himself, right? I think kind of what it is where he always talks about he, how he's not very good at this precise magic, but he gives us examples of him using it all the time. All the time, all the time. And I just think it's like, hey, bro, have a little bit of faith in yourself, please. <laughs> Absolutely. I liked. You mentioned, you touched on it, but Harry, ha you know, it's like a tick. He has to give a name to everything. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, they're Shelly Cobbs. Like, who gives a fuck what they are? How do I stop them? Right? Exactly. Like, and that's exactly Murphy's response. It's like, yeah. I don't fucking care what they're called. Whatever, dude. Like, let's, how do we, let's, what's, let's play, what's step B here? You, you exactly. named them. You did your but thing. You counted, the you counted the toothpicks. Mm -hmm. What's next? It's, that's very accurate though, where he very much has to give everything a name. It's interesting. It's an interesting kind of neuroses, I guess you could say. Yeah, and I, I, I made the Rain Man reference there, not as a throwaway joke. Like he is very much neuroatypical. Like I, oh, I, yeah. it's a, he has to give things a name. Like I don't think he, he uh -huh. would be able to function without it. And it, 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 it could be a combination of being neuroatypical. It could be, be a combination of of his his habits and his methods, mm -hmm. which could be an example of neurotypical, I guess. But. I mean, I get that because there are certain things where I do it certain ways because otherwise it doesn't work, which it, it will work fine any other way. But in my head, it has to be that way because that's how it works best. Yeah. And I don't think Butcher was sitting down trying to write like, oh, I'm going to write a dude on the, the, the spectrum. Like, no, like that's not it's just no, how it's, the it's, character has presented yeah. and progressed. I, I feel like it's, it's fair to say. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's very much it's his his ticks where everybody has ways they do things everybody has certain idiosyncrasies that they 
they meticulously follow. And this is just his. Yeah, no, definitely. Anything else under underground there? His? <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't think so. All right. Um, they get back and we get stepmother-in-law Zilla. Mm-hmm. Getting in the way again. Again, the we just did this like ridiculous spell. We saved her from fairies. Like absolutely like bonkers supernatural mm-hmm. shit. And what might screw the pooch is a mundane bitch. Fu- fussy lady. Yeah. She's got she's a control freak bitch. Yeah. She just is. The uh fire to or the... asshole, if you will, if you want me to be uh non-denominational. <laughs> I mean, I try not to use gendered insults as a rule personally, but sometimes a bitch she's is an just, asshole. She's sometimes a bitch, you know, and I don't necessarily, it is one of those ones that is unconsciously gendered. I use dude completely ungendered. Same. But I also use dick. She's a total dick. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Which I know is not exactly necessarily non-gendered, but. I feel like it is. Just <laughs> so, yeah, but a dick is a dick is a dick. I don't care what your, you know, what you are. You, you can saw, be a cat and you're a dick. You saw Team America World Police, right? No. Oh. It is problematic in ways, but it's also like brilliant satire in a lot of ways. It reminds me of how Starship Troopers was kind of taken. Like mm-hmm. there's like this broy, like face value love for it, but then there's mm-hmm. also like realizing that it was very much satire. <laughs> yeah. Um it it's a great satire. And I don't see eye to eye necessarily with Trey Parker, Matt Stone. But there's a one like famous conversation where they're talking about like there's dicks and there's pussies. Like, you know, they're trying to fuck you know, basically talking about conservatives and liberals is kind of the idea. Uh-huh. And there's just assholes. They're just gonna shit all over everything. You know? um, <laughs> she's an asshole. She's a dick. Um, I know yeah. that I totally blew up that metaphor there, but but I for some reason it makes sense in my head that she's just a dick. Sometimes dicks mm-hmm. are dicks. But I'm, I got super lame. It was a podcast trope of pointing out tropes that you don't need to point out of, um, you know, the sprinklers going off and the water being shitty. It's a book. No one gives a shit with the water. It's, it's fresh. They changed, you know, it's gross though. You know, it's so they gross, changed though. it, but they changed it out yesterday. They were just here. It was a big to do. I just got the purchase order on my desk whatever it doesn't matter and it's one of those things that doesn't matter and i mention it whenever it happens because i have a, a tick that i have to focus on dumb things like that i guess but it doesn't matter I, one of those things where it's tropey and it's fake but i don't care because it doesn't matter and it makes the story better to not think about it so i dig it i like the when he was scared of jenny green teeth this is what she did and then when the werewolves were doing werewolf things like this is what they did i just love that i love that yeah. turn of phrase there um, it's a great, it's a great writing tool. The way absolutely. that it's done. Yeah. Very, very well done. You see a lot in threes, but it's interesting when you can do it in twos and make it that mm-hmm. great. I really, oh, yeah. any other thoughts there? I have just one more on that scene, but. No, I don't think so. I don't have anything that I can think of. So if you're not faking it to be kissing Wendy Peppercorn. There's no part of CPR where you're thinking about kissing. No. Like I I, I may again, I've only I only done it one time. I like, <laughs> there was like 
That was like, I mean, a, a, it was my father, but B, there is literally nothing less sexual. Yeah. Than like, I agree. Like, like she's a corpse. Like this person you care about in front of you is a. It's basically dead. Like that's why you're doing this because she's she's died. Yeah. And, I, I, yeah. yeah. No, I I'm right there with you. That kind of gave me a significant level of ick and just like, bro, bro. Like I get the point is just to kind of like hint at what's gonna come in the next novel. Mm-hmm. It's so uncomfortable. You do it after, like literally, like she talks about fruit punch mountain. Say like. So do you, because we were basically kissing, you know, like making a dumb joke. Yeah. And I, I don't actually feel like it's out of place because it kind of fits in there. Again, and he's telling this story back to us or someone else, right? We've kind of established that. Yeah. At least as for the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault. Canon. <laughs> this isn't his, we're not in his brain as it happens. This is the files. Yes. And, you know, yeah. we, we pointed out a lot of different language that suggests that that's probably the truth. but. I just hated that. Yeah. Again, because, and I'm, you know, not, not everyone is me and is a, one of the, the single most traumatic moment of my life. Yeah. Understandable. Like, and I only did it one time, but, so I can't imagine maybe he's done it a lot and he's pretty blase about it. I don't know. Murphy's got that cute nose, which he did mention in this one as well. But yeah, I didn't like that at all. Um, no, I didn't either. But what can you do? But it is a trope. Yeah, it is. And I've even mentioned the Wendy Peppercorn from Sandlot. Yeah. Is one of the big ones. Did, did you catch the, the the Buffy reference there? No, which you've got fruit punch mouth is what Buffy says to the master and prophecy girl. Spoiler alert for a show. That... Oh, I, I did not get that. That's spectacular, though. Uh, I mean, I, it had to have been because Bob mentioned Buffy earlier. You know, we know yeah. that Butch is a fan. And but just the. uh she says it because he's was just drinking blood. Her blood, in fact. Yeah. A lot of spoilers there for Buffy. But um, I liked it because she's reaching him on his level, right? Kind of nerd references. I like that for more than just the, the fun reference. Yeah. I can appreciate it. He's rubbing off. And Father Fornhill, always there when you need him. In a jam, I like it. Yes. He, he really does uh, swing in and save the day. Honestly, in my mind... He's Father Mullen. Uh, yes. Like, that, is, that is totally the frame of reference I have for Father Mordell. Father the, 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 Joe Mullen. Yeah, the look is not similar. So we had this pre, so we both went to parochial school. I, I was K-8. Maybe you weren't, actually. I was first eight. First eight, basically. And I was K-8. Grew up in a, you know, Irish Catholic home. Our dad was a deacon, for heaven's sake. I am, I, you want to get real technical, I'll tell you that I'm agnostic, but I'm, I lean pretty heavy on the atheism side because whatever, personal reason. But I, I read the gospel for my dad. He was blind, so I had to record it every week. And he had an earpiece and he would practice it and then read it to the congregation every Sunday. It was an interesting way for us to connect. But throughout our youth, the... He was never the head priest, but he was just one of the priests. Was this guy that was just so cool? He's like, I've never met a cool priest before or since. And he was just a, a great human being, always giving. And but he was like worked on Indian reservations and in the Caribbean. And he was just all over the place. And it, he was a Jesuit, so he's big on education 
and always trying to learn. But and he was an amazing storyteller. Yeah. And he just, again, Father Fordale, they just remind me a lot of each other. Or at oh, least yeah. you know, in my, I project Father Mullen onto him maybe. But just this guy that's like, you know, Father Mullen would have been helping with all of the supernatural shit. Oh, Come abso- on. Absolutely. <laughs> he probably does have an eye of Thoth tattoo. We just didn't get to see it. <laughs> there you go. 100%. 100% though. 100%. That is very much the energy. And I was trying, I've been like, Father, why does Father Fort Hill feel, seem so familiar? Why does he seem so familiar? And then when you said that, it's like 100%. That's the familiarity I have with Father Fort Hill mm-hmm. is, is Father Mullen. So the, 100%. the four listeners to this podcast who were members of the St. Patrick's Parish in the late 90s, early aughts. <laughs> Actually, just the 90s, I think. Either way. 80s and 90s. Mm. Well, some of us are older, okay? <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm glad you... Yes. I don't even know why we need each other. We can just do our own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we share a brain sometimes. So, But yeah. All right, I have some I have some questions for you here. Okay. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. We got the blue beetle, the trusty steed. Uh-huh. It's his new blasting rod, which we haven't seen since Blood Rites. Old and borrowed, what do you got? I got a couple thoughts. But... Hmm. Borrowed? So because the title of the of the short story is something borrowed, is that Jenny Greenteeth borrowed her groom. That was uh, where I got the borrowed from. Yeah, I don't have just because the title was that, that's why I, I, I just started to lean into like, okay, well, oh, a hundred percent. I, I, I don't know what something old would be. So I'm thinking something old is Bob. Okay, I like that. And borrowed was Harry's breath. Oh, okay. Again, things that don't matter that I spent. No, not at all. Way more time thinking about than is healthy. <laughs> no, I just, I just. Thought that uh, it was Jenny Jenny Green Teeth borrowed. Oh yeah, that's obviously the kind of okay. the I, I well, he most if not every single one of his titles has some sort of play on words or like double entendre or something. You know, there's something that you can take it in a different yeah. way most of the time, which I really like. Definitely, and that's kind of why I spent some time on that. But also like the tunnels. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he borrowed the tux. Her lips were blue. Mm-hmm. That was a bit of a that was a bit of a stretch. I don't know. <laughs> mm, interesting. Things that don't matter. No, but, you know, hey, that's why we do this podcast. All right. <laughs> there is one other thing. So previously, Harry has referred to cell phones as a, as a canary in a coal mine for magic. And I felt like we had Billy calling him on the cell phone and the cell phone's dying because the fake Georgia is there because there's magic interrupting that. And so I actually texted Josh while we were while I was listening to this, that cell phones are canary in the coal mine again. And that's what I meant because the magic was draining that battery. And the magic of Jenny Greenteeth being there, using all of that magic to have the illusion of being Georgia. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The the glamour. You know, yeah. I won't struggle with Harry anyway, but I like that connection there because it's one of those things where again it's it's very useful as a plot device when oh yeah things sometimes don't work it's like uh-huh. well but the thing too is that but i like harry that. wasn't anywhere near the cell phone physically and that was the that was my uh yeah but we've seen like even on landline stuff just goes out but that is uh not a good sorry shaking 
That's a good catch. I like it. Why they pay you the big buck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One large novelty-sized dollar. <laughs> exactly. Had a buddy in college that he's a LDS, and he said he was he would drink with us if we found a novelty size, like a gigantic bottle of champagne, and he would drink directly from that. <laughs> that was his compromise. <laughs> if, if we're okay. going to do this, it's going to be fucking ridiculous. That's never, spectacular. Never did go purchase that. Just do it. <laughs> but, still on the team. <laughs> I got a question for you. Okay. Billy and Georgia mm-hmm. and all the alphas along with Major Generous Tutu Maximus, Uh took part in that battle on the side of Winter, which is the same jersey that Maeve and Jenny GT wear. Mm -hmm. What the dealio? Um, Well, they were responsible for killing the Winter Knight, right? That's one of the, or not killing him, but basically. Taking him out of action. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. they mentioned, I think it might have been in Proven Guilty, about the Tigress, the ghoul assassin that was after them mm-hmm. they killed and that was somebody that they really that Maeve really liked but the other side of it is so Jenny Greenteeth is on the side of Winter correct yeah she's Maeve's BFF okay but remember that the conversation about Mab having lost her mind or possibly that could be it that Mab is no longer in control and so everybody's running awry that was kind of where I got that from, where because we learned that, you know, Maeve thinks that Mab has a human affliction of some sort. And so it's kind of like when the cat's away, the mouse will play and they are getting their petty revenge. Yeah, even that, though, like if Maeve, Maeve is the one who's trying to point this out. So, yeah. So it just, again, kind of just adds to the wonkiness. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I mean, maybe they are super petty and killing the assassin that was trying to kill Harry, they're still mad about it. They seem like they would be super duper petty. Absolutely. But it still seems kind of thin knowing the problems Harry can create. Obviously Mm -hmm. that she's not, I mean, he did kill Aurora, but like, she's not really worried about that one in a million, but he can cause problems. Like that's like, that's what Harry does. We don't see what the wolves do and what J.D. Green Tea does. Causing people problems is what Harry does. He fucks with power people. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on that. It just... That was kind of where I got. All right, all right. And the last thing, I mentioned this before, but I kind of paraphrased. I wanted to read the the whole deal about how he butchered, ended up naming these characters. Yeah, I love that. While I was in school writing the first three books of the Dresden Files, my, my wife Shannon watched Allie McBeal in the evenings, often while I was plunking away at a keyboard. Now, explicit. I didn't pay too much attention to the show, and it took me years to realize I had unconsciously named Billy and Georgia after those characters in Allie McBeal. Who knew? TV really does rot your brain. <laughs> like that shot across the TV bow. Read books, kids! <laughs> I think it's it's entertaining, though. Definitely. Papa Butcher's got a JAG payment coming up on the 15th. <laughs> um, short of that, uh, we kind of touched on some yikes-ish stuff, but anything on the yikes front? Just the weird CPR thing. Yeah. I'm trying to decide if I want to put in the yikes 
you know, sound cue. We'll see how it goes when I get that deep into the edit. Uh, <laughs> all right, then. Well, we have to do some quotes of the week, I guess. Yes. What do you got? I'm guessing you have a few. I have three. That's what I guessed. Words have meanings. Yes. Life is too short to waste it taking verbal abuse from petty tyrants who watch bad talk shows. <laughs> and are you stalling? Murphy asked. Maybe I am. I've been down there a few times. Never been good. And then the last one is, I let out a battle cry. Sure, a lot of people might have mistaken it for a sudden yelp of unmanly fear, but trust me, it was a battle cry. <laughs> well, now I only have two. Oh. <laughs> I, I knew that one was going to... I did like that as well. Like, you know, he mentions manly battle cry or whatever, right? Like, un or unmanly fear. But and the description there is just great. <laughs> He's very much owning up to it. And, you know, oh, yeah. Because, you like, know, he, he like, he yelped like a, like a, a, a dog that got his tail stepped on. Like, come on. Or me when somebody comes around a corner too fast. <laughs> I have a very sensitive startle reflex. I have ego <laughs> because of comes around the corner too fast. Yeah, I'm like a cat. Like somebody like says something when I have headphones on, like I'll like shoot to this. <laughs> People sneak up on me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like movies that are like gory and stuff. They don't bother me normally. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not what it really looks like. But when something jumps out, I will jump a mile. <laughs> Honestly, and this is, we're going to lose like a bunch of our listenership to this. One of the movies that like, I don't say scared because movies are movies, but like I had to turn the light on during Phantoms, that movie, for some reason, <laughs> as in Ben Affleck, like, absolutely absurd. I've never told anyone that. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen that one. That's hilarious, though. According to Jay of Anne Silent Bob fame, uh -huh. Ben Affleck, you were the bomb in Phantoms, yo. <laughs> if that's not a resounding endorsement. Hey. <laughs> so we've seen some version of this regularly, and I always put it in my quotes of the week because I always find it hilarious. But <laughs> I'm a man of simple tastes. She came through the door and stopped in her tracks. She surveyed the room for a minute and then said, what did this? I nodded at the twisted futon frame. Something strong. I wish <laughs> I was a big time private investigator like you. Then I could figure these things out myself. <laughs> I do love that. I love yeah, the snark that they give each other. Absolutely. It makes it's, me happy. It's like their comfortable routine yeah. at this point, And I really like it. Definitely. And like juxtaposing that way back in like chapter two of Stormfront when Harry thought that was the routine, but she was just annoyed by it. Yeah. And now she's actually, I, don't know, I love. She actively participates. I was not a Murphy fan at all. Like I'm. I know you weren't. Problematic here. <laughs> um, <laughs> just everything about the skull that talks conversation not, not really oh my god i love that it's a skull that talks <laughs> and harry's like yeah yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a but it's a skull <laughs> and i appreciate that immensely i just flipped over to the battle cry part <laughs> um and one of those that doesn't really mean anything but i like the idea mm -hmm. 
I kind of touched on the whole, their relationship of the whole thing, but when you know, Harry's asking if Georgia will be upset that they got in a fight, you know, Kirby got hurt, kind of caused some problems, a kerfuffle for the wedding. And he says, no, how do you know? Because, because she won't, I know her. Upset by the injuries, yes, but not by the fight. Shifted to a Georgia imitation. People get hurt in fights. That's why they're called fights. Uh, that line in particular, like, that's, yes. That's not why they're called fights. I mean, it's, it's I such love like it. a, I love it. It's, yeah, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for that, but I love that that's where he goes. And I'm like, it is, I mean, again, I talk for a living. I like, not, not this, believe me, I wish. <laughs> I do get a couple bucks and that's the greatest thing that's you guys could possibly do. It's absurd and I appreciate you. I'm a coach. I talk, you know, I, not exactly a wordsmith, but I'm okay. But sometimes you say something that just sounds more profound than it actually is. And you like, you know, think it was pretty good. And then you stop and think about it for like one second. You're like, that's how kind of I took that. So like, <laughs> but that's why they're called fights. I'm like, yeah, no, wait, a, wait a minute. I, I felt a connection to that one. I like it. And then there's a great battle cry line on page 18 that I, uh, will not read. <laughs> that was you. Oh, the one I, yeah. yeah. Just jokes. The last one here I love because it's a great subversion of the no time to explain trope. Uh-huh. Which is actually what it's called on TV tropes. Guess if I got a lot done yesterday or got stuck in a 714 cab chrome whirlwind. Harry's trying to rush Billy out of the busted wedding to kiss Georgia and says, Harry, what the hell's happening here? What the hell was that thing? No time. Come with me. Which is like, I, that I, I get, but still like you're, you can give some expo on the way, right? Like in real life you would. And yeah. he says, I need you to kiss Georgia. I found Georgia. She's outside. The watery tart knows it. She's going to kill her. You got to kiss her now. You're running and you really, is it time to explain, but you're going to give the cliff notes so that he understands the urgency. Yeah. And I just, I love that quote. It's not funny. It's not big, meaningful profoundness. It's just actually what you do in this. And it's a good subversion of a trope. Reasonableness. It's a subversion of a trope that bothers me. <laughs> so I like that. That works. And I'm not sure how melting brain mm -hmm. and soothsaying work together, <laughs> but, uh, Pretty straightforward, but anything, uh, Jocelyn, anything with the Crackpot Theory of the Week or save yeah, it for Mr. I, I, you know, there was no animal in this one, so it's got to obviously. <laughs> Shelly cobs. There are Shelly cobs, but those aren't really animals. They're not pets. They're family. <laughs> They're their family. Jenny's family. Yeah. Well, they were. <laughs> I do love scallops, so I imagine similar. That they <laughs> they are like scallops. Don't overcook them. They get rubbery, but you do it. They do. Screaming hot pan. Oof, oof, oof. Good. It's great. Love these scallops. All right. Then I believe that just about does it. Really appreciate y'all. Had a uptick this week. 21% over the last seven days, according to a oh, awesome. cast over here, which is exciting. And somebody, and Tika figured out that you can actually join the Patreon page as a free member, you don't get access to the pod early. You don't, I don't even know if you get my Danny DeVito pictures. 
Uh, you might get those, but um, just a good way to stay up to date. I, if things are coming out late or not at all, I definitely would post there first because they're the ones that butter the bread around here. But you can join. You can actually join uh, as a Patreon member, you know, as the unpaid, just to be on there. You, you don't have to. You're welcome to. There's no benefits for it except that you you know you're first to know when things are wonky. But patreoncom slash podcast was on fire. You can also join for a couple of bones a month, and you get ac- early access to the pod. Been trying to keep to a pretty good 26 hour early schedule of late. <laughs> because that's the exact amount of time you'd expect early access to be. But um, we're also at all the things. Speaking of Tika, a great email that I can't talk about because some of the uh, people listening in, (laughs) but I did love some of those thoughts and it it, it very similar to where I was at, but I like your angles and I'm, I'm learning and loving it. And yeah, I just appreciate you guys. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com, patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. Facebook.com slash whatever the podcast was on fire. I think it was the pod was on fire or something no, like that. No, that's Twitter. Oh, okay. No, it is. The podcast was the podcast was on fire. Absolutely. Woohoo. Either way, besides that, I appreciate y'all. And I believe that will just about do it. We got our pod out on Thanksgiving this last week because it was just a baby one. This is going to be a short one, but this week is crazier. Hopefully you're listening to this on Saturday and Sunday, but quite possibly it's going to be not those days. And that's real life. And I'm sorry, but I still love you. And hopefully it's requited this time. Short of that, Ice, you got anything? I do not. Please stop talking so I can go to a dark room and put ice packs on my eye. <laughs> I'm actually doing pretty much okay right now. My dulcet tones. All right. Well, I have Josh... I am Alyssa. Podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. team kids were like chirping at each other one of my second to last last practice second to last practice or so and you know if you do a full team post game to kind of get everybody back corralled we all we practice as one group but we split off for individual you know skill work and stuff because the a team guys are really good and the b and c team guys aren't quite as good yet mm-hmm. but you know, they were chirping at each other and it's just like like a lame way to go through a practice and uh just getting on each other being dicks basically not bullying but just being you know, 13 year olds. Yeah. And uh, I told them as two of the great philosophers of my time, Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted <laughs> Theodore Logan once said, be excellent to each other. I love that. That's the, fir- the first TED and talk. That, exactly. And if that alone doesn't mean I deserve a raise and a promotion, I can't imagine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs>